Okay, good morning everyone. Um, so, it's, it's lovely to, to be able to see uh, people, uh, but if you could keep your microphones muted, that would be helpful. Um, right, uh, so first question is, uh, I wonder who your heroes are. What is it about the, your heroes that inspires you? Right now, it might be the leader of your country or kind of as a, a grass is greener kind of thing. It could be the leader of another country. We always look over and, and think if only that person was leading our country, we would be in a lot better place. Or it could be the, the men and women who are you know, on the front line, the doctors and the nurses uh, who are working with those who are suffering. Are they, they your heroes? And in some ways, those people are, are rightly being hailed as heroes. They're putting their, their lives in danger for other people. And, um, or it could be someone in the past, and usually it is, somebody in the past, someone you idolize. I wonder when you re read the accounts of these people, you put yourself into those shoes. It could be some of the preachers of the past, some of the martyrs. Or a great yeah, military hero. When you read those accounts, do you see yourself doing the same things or hope that you are, would do the same things? Well, today we're going to be looking at, uh, well, and to, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, Joseph, who is uh, one of the heroes of the Jewish people. In fact, we're not just going to be looking at Joseph, we're going to be looking at the patriarchs. So um, let's have a look at uh, Genesis, uh, Genesis 37. And I'm going to read through from Genesis, uh, through the whole of Genesis 37, so that we get an idea of the picture. But I am going to be dotting around a little bit in Genesis, um, giving us a bit of background since this is the first, uh, the first reading. So Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastured, uh, pasturing the flocks, a flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his mother, uh, father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them, that's his brothers, to their father. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any, of his, any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he was told it, uh, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then his, he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, 
Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to, to, so he said to him, Go, see if it is well with your brothers with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where, uh, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said to him, They've gone far away. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired again against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say, A fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take this, his life. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood. Throw him into the, this pit where there is here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him. That he might rescue him out of their, their hand and restore him to his father. So Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colours that he wore. And he took, uh, they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead where, with their car- uh, camels bearing gum balm and myrrh on their way to carrying it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brothers, brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, our, uh, let not our hand be on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite uh, traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. And sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brother saying, and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. They sent the robe of many colours Uh, and brought it to their father and said, This we found. 
Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garment and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go to Sheol to my son, mourning. Then his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Let's pray before we dive into the passage. Father, we thank you that you have preserved this story for us so that we can learn more about you, about your people, about your character and about your plan. Lord, we pray that uh, we can have open hearts and minds to be changed by it, to be taught by you, to be moulded by you into uh, someone who can serve you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, when Eric and I discussed this, he suggested that we look into the story of Joseph. Uh, we're taking a break from the, uh, before we return to Mark's Gospel and looking into something that we can also look at alongside uh, the children. Um, you might be familiar with this story. Um, it's a West End musical. It's a very famous musical. Andrew Lloyd Webber. I won't sing that for you. Um, but it's also a, a DreamWorks uh, animated film. Um, I, if you've watched uh, Prince of Egypt, it's by the same people. Um, and if you've got children, you may well have seen this. Um, with all these things, we have to be complacent, uh, sorry, careful not to be complacent and make sure that we're truly seeing what this story is about. Because this story is very, very familiar to many of us. Um, it's, we know where it's going. We, we know what yeah, the teaching points of this story are. And we'll come back to that. But one thing that I spotted straight away, and I didn't realize until this, is that this story is, well, the Bible doesn't talk about this story as the story of Joseph. If you look at verse, so let's go back to the passage. If we look at verse 2, what does it say? These are the generations of Jacob. This is actually a bookmark and... Um, an introduction to this next uh, section. This whole story is not the story of Joseph. It's the story of Jacob. Uh, Jacob. So why is this so important? Well, back in chapter 35, verse 10 11, God says, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer, you shall, uh, no longer shall your name be Jacob. But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and mighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your body. So we already see that in Jacob, some of the promises, in fact, the promises of Abraham are going to be fulfilled 
through Jacob. These are the promises of a great nation and the whole earth is going to be blessed through Jacob and his descendants. Abraham has many other sons, uh, or rather there are sons of uh, Isaac and Esau, and there will be many nations from them. But it's through this line that God is going to fulfill his promises. So it's not just the story of Jacob and of Joseph and of his sons. It's the story of Israel. It's the story of God's people. And we see the reflection of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel, named the patriarchs, his sons. It's their story here. And boy, what a family we have. Now... My family isn't without disputes, and, and some of you that know that I haven't always got on with my brother. Um, and certainly within our cousins, we've had disputes, uh, and my, yeah, my parents' family, and they're not, you know, I'm sure some of you, uh, especially in these big family meetings, there are tensions there. And some of you might even say that your families are, uh, are pretty messed up. But this family, if you think your family is messed up, this family takes the biscuit. This family is probably the most messed up family that you can imagine. Right from the outset, Jacob marries two wives. There is firstly, uh, Laban gives uh, Jacob his first, uh, first daughter, Leah. Sadly, uh, Leah is uh, said to have weak eyes, the unfavoured wife, and uh, being shallow, as men can, can so often be, um, she, he favours Rachel, the, the pretty one. Uh, but Leah is so starved of her favors, uh, husband's favour and his love that she thinks that he, she can win uh, his love through having children. And back in the, uh, chapter 32, we see this battle between Leah and Rachel. So Leah has her first son, and he, she names him Reuben, meaning son. It's a proud announcement. Look, I've got a son. And she says, now my husband will love me. And you can see the desperation. You can almost hear the desperation in that. It goes on. Her second son is called Simeon, meaning heard. And she says, the Lord has heard that I am hated. That's, there's heartache there. Two sons already, and she's still saying, the Lord has heard that I am hated. Her third son is called Levi, meaning attached. And again, the desperation is there. She says, now my husband will be attached to me. See, the score is now 3-0, and Leah is hoping and hoping and hoping, but all seems in vain. Number four is Judah. And finally, she seems to turn her eyes to God, because she, Judah means praise, praise to God. Now it's Rachel's turn to cry out, and she comes up with the idea. She can't give, seem to give birth to any children. She comes up with the idea that if she gets her maidservant, Bilhah, 
that will count in her favor. So she sends Bilhar to sleep with Jacob. And Bilhar has, gives birth to Dan, which Rachel says, God has judged me and heard my voice, because Dan hears, uh, means judged. And then Bilhar has Naphtali, which means wrestling. And there's no mistake this struggle she is having with her sister. You see, the score is now 4-2, so Leah is still in the lead. But Rachel is starting to catch up. But Leah gets in on the act and sends in her maidservant, Zilpah. And it seems that uh, Jacob has no say in this. So he's been bartered around like a, like a prize cow. And Zilpah gives birth to Gad, which means good fortune. Again, probably crowing to Rachel, saying, look at me, I've got good fortune. And Zilhar then has a second call, uh, called Asher, meaning happy. And we'll see later that Leah is far from happy. See, the score is now 6-2, and Rachel still has none of her own. Leah now needs to bargain for another night with her husband. And we see from that that she gives birth to Issachar meaning wages. Leah says, God has given me wages because I uh, gave, uh, gave my servant to my husband. I wonder whether she is trying to justify her actions here. And then Leah gives birth to another son, which means honor. And this is probably the saddest statement of them all. This is her sixth son to Jacob. But eight if you include Zilpah's too. And we hear her statement at this point in the Bible. It says, now my husband will honor me. And that's a clear indication that, yeah, that Jacob has not been honoring her, has not been loving her. And that all Leah wants is for, uh, for Jacob to honor her and to love her. Now we see that God finally remembers Rachel and, and, and finally Joseph is born. Joseph means may he add with the hopes that she can add a second son. And much, much later we see in this chapter 37, we see Benjamin who causes the death of Rachel. Benjamin means the son of my sorrow. And he was probably named by Jacob. You see, the sins of the parents are definitely inflicted on the children. And sad to say, I'm sure that you see, yeah, we see those parents among us. We see our children reflected in us. And hopefully you see the good as well as maybe some of our sins as well. But we see Jacob's favoritism. The blatant rivalry between the sisters is clear. These boys are messed up. These young sons are messed up. And it's not surprising given this family dynamic. So we see the favoritism here. We, we come to the start of chapter 37 with this pretty messed up family. And we see this favoritism especially noted in Joseph's gift of this robe of many colours. If we look down at verse 4. We see, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, 
they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And we see in verse 2 that Joseph gives a bad report of his brothers to his father. And of course, later we see these two famous dreams. Now, at this point, it would be easy to imagine uh, that Joseph is this terribly spoilt and precocious child. You know, arrogant and you know, lording it over his brothers. But the Bible doesn't paint that picture. And it doesn't really speak about Joseph. I mean, yes, he gets rebuked by his father. But let's have a look back at it and try and see that if it's Joseph in a different light. Now, we see, we know that Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And we need to read this story in a... Uh, in the light of that, we see that, um, so, so this very much, if we read it in uh, the, the light of Jesus being a foreshadowing of Jesus, we, we certainly see uh, uh, Jesus at the age of 12. I don't know whether you remember, Jesus at the age of 12 gets left in the temple. And it takes a full day with Joseph and Mary traveling away from Jerusalem to realize that where's Jesus? He's not with the family. He's not with the traveling crowd. So they travel back to Jerusalem and they frantically search everywhere. And it takes four days. They, Jesus has been left uh, another three days. Jesus has been left in the, the temple for four days and what's he doing? He's talking to the teachers and preachers there, and they are amazed. Some, if it wasn't for the fact that he is Jesus, we would certainly be thinking, who is this arrogant, precocious child? And similarly here, we see Joseph is just telling the truth. Even before this chapter, we see the events of how wicked some of uh, his brothers are. Reuben sleeps with his stepmom, Bilhah. Yes, that Bilhah. Simeon and Levi lead the other sons to go and attack and slaughter all the men in a city in revenge for a rape of their sister. Now, that might seem a little bit justified. But if you read the circumstances, it's really quite cruel and gruesome. So firstly, they offer their friendship. They say, let's, let's kind of uh, bring you guys into the family. So what you guys need to do, the men in this city, because you need to be part of this, this powerful family that we, the, that we are, you need to circumcise yourselves. And so the men circumcise themselves. And while they are still suffering, Simeon and Levi bring the other sons and the tribe of Jacob to attack and kill all of the men in that city. So at this point, when Joseph goes and gives an honest report to their father, I think we have to be careful of project, uh, projecting this idea that Joseph is a spoilt and precocious child. Instead, we should see that Joseph 
is a chosen, is God's chosen man. And we'll see this a little bit later, but we see that God's chosen man is someone who is going to be hated. See, we see the wickedness of, uh, of uh, the brothers in the rest of the story. We may have some sympathy for, for Reuben, who stops the, uh, the brothers from killing Joseph, but he obviously doesn't inspire that much leadership. We see that even though Reuben is the firstborn, it's Simeon and Levi who lead the attack against that city. We see that Reuben leaves Joseph and the other brother, Joseph with the other brothers, and they ignore what he says. He, maybe he's ashamed of his act. He leaves them. And Judah comes up with a completely different plan. So Judah now takes the lead. So Judah, we might think, oh, Judah says, well, he's our own brother. He's our own flesh. Let's not kill him. And you might think that Judah's motives are, are good here. But no, Judah's motives are clear in verse 26. Let's have a look down at verse 26. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it to kill if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? You see what he, his motive is. He doesn't seem that fussed about killing at all. It's the greed that gets the better of him. Profit, what profit is it? Judah is in it for the money. And you notice verse 25. When they throw Joseph in a pit, thinking to kill him later, or not sure, they just sit down to eat. It's just like another day. They just sit down and eat. There's no racking of their brains. There's no, what, what shall we do? Well, why am I highlighting this? I want you to, rem to remind you that these brothers are the fathers of Israel. They are the patriarchs. If the Jews were going to doctor any of their history, this would be one of the key moments. Wouldn't they have yeah, changed their history to make their forefathers out to be noble people, noble men, shining stars? No, instead, God makes it clear what terrible people they are. These are God's chosen people. These are God's, uh, God's people. The ones he set aside from all the other nations. We talk about how great it is that the disciples are so flawed and it helps us to re re relate and be thankful that they are just as human as us. We've talked about that so many times. Peter with his size yeah, 15 foot that he constantly puts in his mouth. He just brashly chooses to do things. And we've recently talked about um, John and James, the sons of thunder, who, who made the mistake of saying, who is the greatest? Who will sit next to your side, Jesus? And we say how flawed and how, how unable to see the big picture uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus' disciples are. But here we have the painting of the brothers who are the patriarchs who represent God's people. 
I wonder in, in, in Sunday school when you were a child, and I very much doubt this, I doubt that your Sunday school teachers would have ever taught you to put yourselves in the shoes of Joseph's brothers. You see, it's very easy to put ourselves in the shoes of the hero, isn't it? See, this is why superhero films are so popular right now. We put our, ourselves in the shoes of Spider-Man or Iron Man or Batman and we want to be them and we suffer with them. And the studios are scrambling right now to get female superheroes and superheroes from a different ethnic background. And, and one of the reasons why Black Panther was so popular is because people can relate to them. People can pretend to them. And they sell so much in terms of marketing. And included in theirs is costumes. People want to dress up as their favorite superhero and pretend to be them. And you, you can understand that. Here, don't you see that if we are anything, anyone in this story, we are not Joseph. We are the wicked and terrible brothers. They are not the Gentiles. They are not the people outside the, God's kingdom. They are God's chosen people. Now, and if you're not sure about that, how can we be these brothers so wicked, so hateful? I want you to remember what Jesus said about anyone who has lust or hate in their minds. Jesus says, if anyone has lust in their minds, then they have already committed adultery. Or if, if anyone has hate in their minds, then they have already killed that person. And this is what comes as a shock to us. We are these people. We are the brothers in this story. And why is this important? Well, it shows us the need for a saviour. And this is my first point. And I only have two, so hopefully you'll realise. And my second point is a little bit shorter. We need a saviour. If we as Christians, if we are Christians... We are the people of God. We were once fallen and fully guilty of sin. Through no act of our own, we were saved and brought into the family of God. We need a saviour. We, the people of God, who were once fallen and fully guilty of sin. Through no act of our own, we were saved and brought into the family of God. You'll be thankful that my next single point is a little bit shorter. Um, it's clear right from the beginning that God has a plan. And that's, that's the point. God has a plan. He reveals it in not just one, but two dreams to Joseph. It's clear from these dreams that Joseph is going to be king of some sort. And again, it's a clear foreshadowing of Jesus. So... God knows what's going to happen, but we can't, we don't, uh, we don't just see God in these broad strokes. You might say, well, God knows what's going to happen. God sees what's going to happen. God is not just in these big gestures. We see it in the small details as well. I wonder whether you saw it. Let's just have a look at the back at the passage. 
I wonder whether you saw the small details. Let's have a look at verse 15. So Joseph is wandering through the fields in Shechem. He's looking for his brothers. And he just so happens to find a man. Or rather, a man finds him and says, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. It just so happens that the person who saw his brothers and knows that his brothers have gone to Dothan. I mean, he might have seen his brothers going off, but how does he know he's going to Dothan? Unless he was near enough to overhear him. So this would not have been any, any normal man. This would have been a man who would probably have passed his brothers and talked to his brothers. Now, Dothan, let's have a look down at this uh, map here. Dothan is about 15 miles from Shechem. It's about 24 kilometers. And you can see down here that, that it's, it's fairly mountainous going from Shechem to Dothan. Dothan is obviously a, a, a better kind of um, ground for the sheep or the, the herds to, to graze. Uh, but that, if you don't know, I mean, yeah, from, from years of country walking through tough terrain, if that's tough terrain, that's about six hours of walking. There is no way that Joseph would have found them without being given proper directions. So, six hours of walking, he could have walked six hours of walking in any direction. But he, he is found by this man. So that's the first detail that seems to be coincidence. Here's another detail. I mean, I'm sure that there's just more than a few. But here's a second detail in verse four, uh, 24. They took him, they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now, that's a very strange detail to include. There is no water. Well, that implies that these pits were either regularly full of water or many of them were full of water. And if he had been thrown into any other of the pits, then he may well have drowned. These pits could well be very deep and he could have drowned. We don't know how many hours. There does seem to be an implication that he was in there for hours. We don't know whether Joseph could swim, but there seems to be this very you know, uh, simple detail. It's a small one. But I think if we blink, we miss it. Now, you might not be convinced. I think this last detail, however, is, uh, for me, a clincher. There just so happens to be a passing caravan that takes Joseph to Egypt. Not just any caravan, but a caravan who will be willing to take slaves. Take, and it, that caravan is taking him to Egypt and specifically sells him to Potiphar's house. Yes, we know what happens after this. We're so used to this story. We, we're so used to Hollywood films telling us, you know, these, these great coincidences happening. And we kind of miss how amazing these coincidences are. Before they kill him, and Judah, who has this greed, sees this caravan coming, this caravan who is going to take a slave and sell him to Egypt, to Potiphar's house. And we see maybe 
over a thousand and a half years later, one and a half thousand years later, Stephen speaks to the Sanhedrin before he is martyred and says in Acts 7 verse, uh, verse 9, he says, Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him rule ruler over Egypt and all his palace. God was with him. It was God's hand that allowed Joseph to be almost killed by his brothers. And by God's hand he was guided and sold into slavery. But this is for the salvation of Israel. As we see Joseph becomes the ruler of Egypt and saves his family from famine, brings his family to Egypt and saves them from family. Just as the promises were made to Abraham, these start to come true here. The whole world is blessed through God's chosen man. In, in Stephen's speech in Acts, we see this repeating pattern God's chosen man is rejected by his people. He suffers, but through him, he brings salvation to his people. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because the ultimate culmination of that is Jesus. He is hated, he suffers, and through his suffering, he brings salvation to his people. God's plan may baffle us at times. We may cry out to God, wondering why God has allowed us to suffering, suffer like this, especially now in a di this difficult time. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that f for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are call called according to his purpose. We read that again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And those who are called according to his purpose. And so my second point is this. Many of us are struggling in this difficult time. Many of us have struggled and will struggle. But if we believe in the God of the Bible, we can trust that even through the harshest times, God has a plan. And he sent a saviour before us to provide us with salvation. Now that saviour, that salvation, it may not be a cure for any disease. It may not be comfort, health, wealth or happiness in this life. It is a certain hope and promise of a place in his family in eternity it's a spiritual salvation it's a forgiveness of sins a promise of heaven there are churches who will promise you wealth and health and happiness the bible doesn't promise us that not in this life some of you know that that's called a prosperity gospel and that is false teaching the Bible does not promise us 
So the Bible does promise us that we can know the peace and love of God in this life. But all that is found through the lens of knowing that Jesus died for us to guarantee us a promised place in heaven. So if we believe in God, we can trust that God has a plan and has sent a saviour before us to provide salvation. So my points are this. Let me just summarise my points. We need a saviour. We are the people of God who were once fallen and fully guilty of sin and through no act of our own we were saved and brought into the family of God. God has a plan. We can trust God has a plan even in difficult times, even at this time, and has sent a saviour before us to provide a place in his family, in his heaven, in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, help us to recognise that we are fallen and we are guilty, and only through your salvation we have a place in your kingdom. Lord, help us to trust in your plan, your plan for our lives, your plan, your hand in the small details and the big details, knowing that we are here to serve you and that we can have peace if we bring everything to you, if we trust in you. Lord, help us to love you more and more and encourage one another and be part of this family. In Jesus' name, amen.